We have been spending our time in the Ten Commandments on Sunday night, and we have been doing that ever since we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus saying that I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law, and to recognize then that in the law, it is not for us to just be dismissive of it and go, well, that's Old Testament, and we'll just carry on from Matthew forward, but to be able to look back at the Old Testament, look back at the law, and see how how these things were fulfilled in Christ. And that's what we're going to continue to do is we're now at the fourth commandment here in Exodus chapter 20. And it says there in Exodus 20 and in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And as you read that, you'll immediately recognize that is the longest of the Ten Commandments that are given. It's pretty extensive in the discussion about this Sabbath day that is supposed to happen. And one of the things that is interesting about observing what this law meant is because this is the command that Jesus, if you will, got into the most trouble over while he was on the earth. John chapter 5 gives us that scene where it's told to us there in verse 16, and this This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so you will see that throughout the gospel accounts, how often they will come to Jesus and say, you or your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And you see that when Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, you see him plucking the grains of head on the Sabbath. And sometimes in our studies of the New Testament, we struggle with dealing with how to justify Jesus and what he's doing. Was he really working? Was he really breaking the Sabbath? And when he says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, does that mean he was okay to break the Sabbath? And so understanding what this law meant to Israel is truly important to understanding what Jesus was doing when he was on the earth, as well as understanding its fulfillment for us in the New Testament. There the Lord begins with the word remember. Remember does not mean, oh, I thought about it. See how well that works on your anniversary. I thought about it. I remembered our anniversary. Remember always means something more than a just calling to remembrance, but is the idea of doing something about it, observing of the very day. In fact, over in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and in verse 12, it says to observe the Sabbath day. And so remembering means that you are supposed to keep this day. Well, how are then were they supposed to be able to keep it? Verse 9 is the explanation of that six days you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
And I think it is important to observe as he gives this description, you'll notice that God is giving the command for the people to work. It's easy to dive into the seventh day and how is that arrest and all that, but forget the front end of the command. Six days you shall labor and you will do all your work in those six days. And it is a reminder to us that God governs every day of the week and that we are under his rule and under his control, not just simply on one day a week, but all of the days God is watching over them. And here he is telling them six days then are the days that you are to labor and do the work that is given to you. I, I've told you about this text many times as we see it in the New Testament. It was dad's favorite verse to me from when I was 16 years old and onward when Paul told the Thessalonians, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, neither will he eat. And so dad would send it to me over and over again to go get a job. And so you have this text that here's God saying it from the very beginning with Moses work labor for your six days even the New Testament you're supposed to labor you're supposed to make your own way that's what working is for is that you would be able to then care for yourself as well as for others but then God says there in verse verse 10 but the seventh day is something different The seventh day is to be a Sabbath, and that word just means a rest. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. And the picture of it is if six days are your usual labor to do all of your work, then you were supposed to stop what was your usual work on that seventh day, as long as that didn't actually cause harm to anyone or or any animal or things like that. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that were excluded from the seventh day Uh, from the Sabbath command on the seventh day. And Jesus points that out over and over again when he's talking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law as they criticize him about the Sabbath. Like Jesus will make the point, the priests didn't stop working. They continued to work even on the Sabbath day. They did not take the day off. He'll make the point that circumcision was still performed on the Sabbath day. If that was the eighth day, then it was still performed even on that day. Making the point again, it's not that all work stopped, but what your usual labors and activities were in regards to work, those were the things that ceased. You see, obviously, you'd have to prepare food for the family, right? It's the Sabbath day. Nobody just said, we said, well, I guess we can't do anything because we're all going to be really hungry today. And we'll just hope, hope for Sunday to roll around real quick. That, that's not what happened. You would go ahead and prepare your meals. You would be able to feed the animals. The whole point was anything that was required of you to get through an agrarian society and agrarian culture was absolutely allowed. Jesus make that point. If your oxen falls in the ditch, you don't sit there and go look at it and go, well, that's a problem. I guess I'll come back tomorrow. You pulled it out of the ditch. And that's the point Jesus is making over and over again is that the Sabbath rest was not saying zero exertion. Do absolutely nothing. Just sit there and stare at the wall until the next day rolls around. That was never the idea of the Sabbath. And sometimes I think we almost get the sense of that, that any activity would have been would have been uh, condemned by God. I think you also should notice something in verse 10 as well. Notice that this ex- explanation It says, on it you shall not do any work, nor you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or even the soldier, even the foreigner who is within your gates. 
Here is, you're not allowed to delegate the work. You weren't allowed to go and say, okay, now I can't do the Sabbath and do what I need to do as a normal work day, but I'll get somebody else to do it for me. And so tell your son to go do it, or go tell the servant to go do it, or go have some foreigner do it for you. Here's a very explicit command. There was supposed to be a complete stopping of what you would normally do in the six days of what you would call your work, your job. That was supposed to stop, and you weren't supposed to give it to anybody else and say, okay, well, you can do it, because I can't do it. It was supposed to be stopped altogether. Now, the question that I think comes about for us that we need to consider is, so what was the purpose of this? Why was this day given? Why is the Sabbath then presented by God? You have in verse 11 an explanation of why the day was chosen. Sabbath day, he says, because... Uh, in the verse 11, six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, and rested on the seventh day. That's why the seventh day of all the days of the week. Why didn't he pick Monday? Why didn't he pick when? Why did he pick Saturday? Why the seventh day? Because after six days of God's labor, he rested on the seventh day. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Was God tired? Why, why did God rest? This is so exhausted from all that creating. He needed to take a break. You know, you got to lay back and God had to recuperate. The point of rest was to say he finished his work. The creating aspect of everything God intended to do in creating the universe was finished in six days. And therefore God stopped, rested, ceased and done. The reason why that is important is because there is nowhere that you're going to go into the scriptures to suggest that the reason there was a Sabbath is because people need a physical time of recuperation. Drives me up the wall, all the books and sermons of the domination of the world that I listen to in prepping for this of, well, see, this goes to show that humans need to rest. That's not what the text says. It's not the point. Are you suggesting that's why God stopped? That's not the purpose of why it was. It wasn't like God knew you only have a battery that can go for six days straight. And if you overrun for six days on day seven, it's going to be trouble. Not ODU. That's not the reason why. It's never expressed that way. Never stated that there has to be one day because otherwise our physical bodies will not be able to handle it. You'll notice the text tells us the reason why even here, though, it's kind of veiled when it says there in verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Notice there's not a period there. It's a Sabbath to who? To the Lord your God. This was a day to be devoted to God. That's why there was to be a stopping of the labors. Because there was a day that was required that you would put your focus on God. That becomes more clear in the Deuteronomy account, chapter 5 and verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to... To keep the Sabbath day. That this was to focus on God. To remember what God had done. And here is God coming along and saying. I want you to stop from your work. Not because your body is going to just totally fall apart on you. But because I want you to focus on me. 
I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember how you were slaves in Egypt. And I want you to devote this day to God. In fact, this is what you see throughout what the Jewish understanding was. And even in the scriptures itself, Josephus says every week men should desert their occupations and assemble to listen to the law. This here's a first century writing of a first century Jew saying this is what we do. Even the book of Acts gives this idea in Acts 15 verse 21. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. There are generations people have been listening to the law and assembling together because that's what the law said to do. Leviticus 23 and verse 3. There are six days and you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You shall not do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. The scriptures are always saying, here's the reason why you Sabbath is because you are to stop your work and devote yourself to worshiping me. And I hope that you would think about what a blessing God was giving the people. That there would be in those ancient societies, there was no, okay, we stop on Saturday or for our society, we get Saturday and Sunday off typically from work. There's not evidence of ancient cultures in that day and time who took those days off. You work seven days a week. And God was giving a blessing to Israel and saying, I'm going to make you stop working so that you'll focus on me. That you'll pay attention to me, that you'll worship me and devote yourself to me and remember what I've done for you. And think about what a blessing that would have been for the people to be able to do that. That God would say, this is what I've given for you to think about me. It's pretty shocking. Your mind might be running through that right now. And think about how often the Old Testament prophets talk about how they disregarded the Sabbath and continued to work anyway. You think about, here's God giving you a break, a rest, a Sabbath so that you would worship him. And you're saying, I would rather not worship. I would rather go to work. No wonder God was insulted and the prophets were screaming at them about how they were not keeping the Sabbath. And so this is what you see Jesus dealing with when we come into the first century is people who had taken the Sabbath law and rather than it being a blessing to them, they turned it into an immense burden. They turned the definition of work and they came up with 39 different classifications for what work was. And so if you did certain actions or performed certain behaviors, then you have worked and therefore you're under condemnation. That's what you see Jesus dealing with every single time. Here are he and his disciples and they have something, go and get something to eat by plucking grain. You've worked and they nail him for that and say that he's worked. Or healing a man on the Sabbath, they call that work. And what they had done was just simply destroy the grace and the blessing of God. They had turned what was supposed to be a time of joy and rest and focus on worshiping God and remembering how they were slaves in Egypt and how God had rescued them and turned it into this burden. And it was now obtrusive and it was harsh in trying to know what was okay and what was not okay. Am I working if I do this inadvertent activity or not? Which is why Jesus gives these powerful words when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the point that Jesus is making is the Sabbath was not supposed to be a pain. 
You weren't supposed to come to the Sabbath day and go, I just don't know what to do. If I do this, what's going to happen? Am I breaking God's law or not? It was a pretty straightforward idea. Do you know what your labors are six days a week? Don't do those on the Sabbath. (laughs) That's the basis of all God was giving. That was to be a blessing to them. I find it interesting that that hasn't changed at all. Have you all seen one of these? I don't know how well that's. You can read the top line up there. And yeah, there's three lines. This is this is an elevator. <clears throat> yeah, elevators. These are in the United States, so that's why you might have come across them. They are called Sabbath elevators. That's what the top one says up there. After off, off under, it says Sabbath. It's a Sabbath elevator. And the purpose of the Sabbath elevator was, is, still is now, that if you pushed the button. You've done work because you have sent an electrical circuit and completed the circuit and told the elevator that it was going to go. Not only that, you have also caused work if you approach the elevator as the door is closing and cause the door to reopen. And so what the Sabbath elevator is, is that it just is set on automatic on the Saturday, on the seventh day, and it just stops at every floor on its own and you don't have to touch any of the buttons. And you can go Google this. So it was really funny. You have six seconds to get in and out of the elevator before the door closes. If you cause it to jump back, then you've broken God's law and you've caused it to work. What's even more interesting is they wrote in their rules, it's okay if you got a Gentile to push the button for you. Which I went, well, if you're, that said, not foreigners. You're not supposed to have foreigners do your work for you. If you're going to define that as work, then you're breaking what it says. Is that what God intended by the Sabbath was to make your life so miserable that, okay, we can't even push the elevator button because that would be a classification of work and we can't do those things. This is what the law had turned into. And just to see that that exists today, you get a sense of what Jesus is dealing with in the first century when they're bombarding him about what he's doing in the Sabbath. You healed a man on the Sabbath? And he's like, of course I did. What, are you kidding me? How are you going to remotely think I've broken God's law in work? My disciples are eating. They are getting grain from the field and eating. Are you suggesting that I'm breaking the Sabbath? Not in the slightest. But what they had done is created all of these kinds of rules and regulations and writings to say that this was not allowed. And so you have a Sabbath elevator today and many, many other things that are very interesting to go read. Was it the intention of God's law? The Sabbath was made for man. This was supposed to be a rest for you to focus on God, not to make your life miserable as the teachers of the law in the first century had done. Now, it's important to observe as well that this was an important sign. When covenants were made in ancient Near Eastern times, there was usually something visible that was given to remind the people of the covenant that was made. And God does the same thing in making visible reminders for his people. For example, when God makes a covenant with Noah, what's the visible reminder? 
He puts his bow in the cloud and he says, that is your visible reminder of a covenant. I will never destroy the world by water again. When he comes to Abraham and makes a sign of the covenant that he's made with him, circumcision is the visible reminder of the covenant that Abraham was given by God and the covenant that they had made together. You'll note then that the Sabbath day was considered a sign of the covenant for the law of Moses and the covenant that's made there. Ezekiel chapter chapter 20 and verse 12. Here's God speaking. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned that I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. Notice he gives the picture of them in the wilderness and says, my Sabbath was a sign. It was to be this reminder of what I had done for them, which is what Deuteronomy 5.15 expresses. That this was to be the moment for them to sit back and remember how they were slaves in Egypt. The reason why I understand that's a sign of the covenant is important is like when our study of Isaiah and you will come to other places sometimes in the prophets where it will talk about how important keeping the Sabbath was because it was equal to keeping the covenant with God. This is a sign of the covenant. If you break the very symbol of the covenant, then you clearly have no regard for it whatsoever. And that's what you see when you have the prophets talk about, I'm going to have a new people who have a new heart and they're going to keep my Sabbaths. And the idea is not necessarily implying that, okay, in the new covenant when Christ comes, his people are going to actually keep the, the physical Sabbath. But that's a picture of the covenant. They're going to be covenant keepers. They're going to keep all of my laws. They're going to recognize what I have done for them. And they're going to obey that covenant and maintain that covenant faithfulness. And so understanding that sign as a covenant with Israel is everything to understand why the prophets speak that way about the importance of keeping the Sabbath. That was your sign to know that you belonged as God's people and remembered and cared that God had brought you out of Egyptian slavery. Now, that brings us probably to the important part as we come forward now today in keeping the Sabbath. Is this something that's supposed to be kept today? And there are absolutely groups who hold to that and say, you need to keep the Sabbath. This was a law that was given eternally for all generations from the very beginning. Important to observe some of the things that we've looked at. First of all, we understand that the Ten Commandments were only given to Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 5 makes that very clear. Talking about that this covenant that was made to to you was not made with those who were before you or any that are after you, but those of you who are standing here this day. It was given to Israel directly. That should be pretty obvious too when we recognize what was the point of the Sabbath. What were you supposed to remember? That God rested after making creation in six days? No. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Well, who were slaves in Egypt? Israel was. Not Gentiles, nobody else. It was only Israel that was given that command because they were the ones that were the slaves in Egypt. Further, the Apostle Paul comes forward and makes it clear that that's not something to be observed today. Colossians 2, verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Notice these are all like identifying marks 
of what showed Israel. You couldn't eat certain foods and have certain drinks. In regards to festivals and new moons, all the different days that they would keep and God had given, including the Sabbath. Notice what Paul says. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one judge you in regards to these things. They were only shadows of things to come. And Christ is the substance of that shadow. And so you have a picture here of the Apostle Paul saying Sabbath and the eating laws and things like that. Those things are not binding. They were only shadows of what Christ was going to do when he came to fulfill the law. And we'll talk about that fulfillment in just a minute. But before we do, let me tackle one other thing. Pet peeve of one of a million that I probably have regarding the Bible. This is certainly one of them. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Nowhere in any of the scriptures does it ever say that Sunday is a Christian Sabbath. Now, I understand that you see some similarities. On the first day of the week, we assemble together and remember what God has done for us and how we were enslaved to sin and has set us free by a mighty end. I recognize the parallels that exist there, but Sunday is never described as a Sabbath. It is never described as a new Sabbath. It's never connected to the Sabbath in scriptures or in any of the teachings in any way. In fact, if we were going to point to a sign of the covenant that is expressly declared, as part of our covenant acts, as we did deny, the Lord's Supper is the thing that is our recalling of what God did for us. That is the sign that God put forward to remember what your Lord has done and recall those things. That's one of the only things that we have that's told to us in regards to a sign. So it is not that Sunday is the new Sabbath and so everything gets moved forward. Nor can we apply all those things and say, okay, so you must now uh, not work and you're only allowed to work Monday through Saturday and not on Sunday. That doesn't apply. That's not what was being taught. Since the Apostle Paul says it was a foreshadowing of the substance that was found in Christ, what's the substance? If it's foreshadowing something else to come in the new covenant, then what was it that the Sabbath that was given to Israel was looking forward to? In our final few minutes, turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a picture of what the substance was in regards to why the Sabbaths were put forward as a sign and then given for us as an understanding of what this means in Christ. Now, we're going to be in chapter 4 particularly, though the chapter break is a a little bit tough here because at the end of chapter 3, I want you to see how it's talking about the disobedience of Israel in the wilderness for those 40 years. Verse 16 of chapter 3, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom did he provoke the 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that he would not, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore 
therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, as you read that, it immediately sounds like we are not talking about the Sabbath rest, but we are talking about the rest of Canaan, right? They fell in the wilderness because of their disobedience and they failed to reach it. That's what verse 1 says. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you seem to fail to reach it. But notice what the writer of Hebrews does. Verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, it sounds like we're still talking about Canaan, but watch the very end of verse three. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Please notice he intertwines the two rests together. The rest that was being offered in Canaan, he says, they fell of their disobedience. Verse one, you still have the opportunity of rest. It still remains. And then to prove it, he quotes Genesis that God rested on the seventh day and goes further and says there. In, in ver, at the end of verse 3, that he, his works were finished from the foundations of the world. And then verse 5 intertwines it again with, these, with the rest of, the, of, of Canaan. In verse 5, they shall not enter my rest. Notice he just takes this promise of the rest of Canaan. And what we see of God resting on the seventh day from all of his labors. And he just kind of puts them together. All right. Interesting. Notice on in verse six, since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So he makes this point that Joshua did not give the rest that was being promised. So again, it sounds like simply the wilderness, but verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest. That's double. There remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. So what the writer of Hebrews does is he takes this picture and he says, now there is a Sabbath rest that still remains. And the people in the days of Joshua, they didn't enter into that rest. And for our standpoint, we probably read that and go, yeah, they did, right? They went into the promised land. He goes, no. They didn't receive what God was promising. You go, okay, God's talking about something bigger then. Because they did enter the land. They conquered Jericho. They settled the land. And yet, here's God saying... In verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. There is some other rest that remains. And he validates that by quoting what God did on the seventh day and said, just as he rested from all of his works, so now there's a rest to you. Now, at the very beginning I asked you, I said, now why did God rest on the seventh day? Was it because he was tired and worn out and weary and it was exhausting? No. 
He rested because he was finished. Watch how the writer of Hebrews now now drives that very point. So verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here is the picture that is being given. There is a rest that still remains. Well, when do you enter the rest? He says, when you rest from all of your works. So I just put parenthesis when you're dead. That's when you enter into those works. And the point that the writer of Hebrews is getting at here is you strive now to enter the rest. Don't read these things and think, well, that was for them back there. There was a greater picture of what God was promising with a Sabbath rest to be finished of your labors and to be able to enjoy rest with God. And that is the promise that still remains. And the point the writer of Hebrews then tells us in is that we live not so that we can get to Saturday and Sunday and go, all right, time to lay on the couch and watch TV. I'm dead tired of those five days and all right, it's football season. I'm laying back and relax. That's not what it's all about. He's saying you keep working for the Lord now and you rest when you're dead. That's when you receive the rest. The rest was not about a Sabbath. The rest was not having one day off as if your whole life is built around just get me to that one day. I am amazed at how our world portrays life that way. What a sad existence. If all that your life consists of is survival until you get to Saturday. That is a horrific life. (laughs) Yay, we made it to Saturday. Well, then what? Guess what? You get to go back to work. That's what. That's what God is talking about. There's something better to be looking forward to when you're no longer laboring and you labor every day now looking forward to the rest that God has promised. And so Christ then is the substance of the Sabbath. What does it mean by that? He's who we are longing for. He is who we are desiring. He is the the one that we want to be with. We want to rest with him. I don't want to rest now and miss out on what God has promised. I want to labor now. I want to strive now because my rest is not sitting here and doing nothing in retirement and saying, wow, I made it. I'm 65. Yay me. I want to work and strive and work some more so that I can be with God and rest with him. And that's the point that he's making here. That's verse nine, verse 11. Strive to enter that rest promised to the people of God. Back in verse 2 and verse 11, the warning. Do not fail to enter the rest because of your lack of faith or your disobedience. God, can you imagine that? Here is God at the very beginning. He says, here's my six days and I'm going to do a a resting on the seventh day and I'm going to be finished of all my labors. And I'm going to give Israel a day, one day a week. So that they'll remember me and for what I've done. And then turn around and say, but that's not what you were living for. There was something greater that if you would continue to strive and continue to devote your life to God, you will enter into a rest that you cannot comprehend. That you will finally enter into what you've been looking forward to. That your soul yearns for a rest with God. 
the rest that we have seem to be insufficient almost with purpose. How many times have you had this night's sleep and you wake up and you go, I don't feel rested at all. You've worked all week, you get your day or two off and you roll back around to Monday and you go, I don't feel rested at all. What's God done to us except there's a hope of a real rest. Don't rest now on God. Keep pushing, keep striving and receive the real rest. So if that's 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 80 years, 90 years, it's a short amount of time when you talk about eternal rest with God. And so God gave us this as a shadow that would be fulfilled in Christ, that only through him are we able to receive eternal rest with him. We're going to sing a song. And we hope that in learning about the rest that God has promised, that it would encourage you to give your life to Jesus this very day. To recognize that your life here is just simply preparation for the hope of eternity with God. That that is the true rest that your soul longs for. Will you give your life to Him? Will you turn away from your sins? Follow Jesus with all of your heart, confessing Him. To be the Son of God, the ruler and master of your life, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and then continue to press forward. As the writer of Hebrews says, do not fall short, but continue to press on. For when we do, a real rest remains. Will you come to him tonight while we stand and while we sing?